Hey, yay, 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 So, you know what's real fun? Is when your sermon text, when you break your main point of your sermon text on the way to church. You want to hear that story? Okay. Uh, we'll do that and then get going. Um, yeah, so everyone has been covering uh, for me. I appreciate East this morning, and then I'm coming in hot here. Um, and you'll notice as you walk back out, we're talking about limits and living within your limits today. And on the way over, I may have broken the speed limit, and I may be parked in a handicap spot. Other than that, <laughs> everything is under control. <clears throat> okay. Uh, hi, my name's Jeremy. I'm the pastor here. Uh, hey. And uh, okay, we're going to play a game called, what does your Instagram feed say about you? Ready? I'll start. You can just think in your brain. Um, one of the things that my Instagram feed says about me is that, have you heard of this thing called the van life? You know the van life? Okay, so the van life is, if you're unaware, my, my Instagram algorithm constantly feeds me pictures and videos of converted VW buses and school buses called schoolies, in case you want to look it up, uh, and other like conversion vans and trucks with all these crazy contraptions on them where you can just literally get in it, you can get out of town, and you can just live for like months off the grid. And now, thanks to Elon Musk, we've got Wi-Fi anywhere we go. You can work anywhere. Like, there's no boundaries anymore. So get out of here. But the, there is something that's really fun and alluring to me about that. And Instagram knows this, and it feeds my addiction. There, there, there's something that I think is really beautiful about that. I think there's also something that I have to be skeptical of myself, uh, and we collectively have to be skeptical of what are those places where in our lives we just love to press against the limits, where we love to press against the limits of how much we sleep, where we love to press against the limits of healthy eating, where we love to press against the limits of how much I can actually physically get done in one 24-hour period. I've often thought if I didn't have to sleep, I would be such a better human. I think the opposite might be true. Because what's true of the van life, as beautiful as it might be, that there is this sort of spirit inside of us that loves adventure. And there's nothing inherently wrong about that. There is also a spirit inside of us that wants to break free from anything that binds us that wants to break away from these circles that God has drawn around our lives. We love to break free of human constructs and limits and rules, to go our own way, to be our own person, to define our own reality. This is inside of us, just waiting to get out. And maybe it has wreaked some amount of havoc in your life, maybe even in the past week, maybe even this morning. Maybe even while you parked in a handicap spot. We've been in this series called uh, Back Where I Began, The Search of Meaning in the Book of Genesis. And so what we're trying to mine out of this is not just sort of a a quasi-scientific understanding of where the world came from and what our place in it is. Uh, We're not just trying to sort of, 
you know, look at and parse all the little verses and verbs out to get a best, our best understanding of was it six literal days or was it days that were kind of not exactly 24 hours and how sequential and all, all those things are to a degree important. But here's the main goal because it was the main goal of the writer of the book. Who are we? Where did we come from? How should we live our life? These are the things that matters. These are the things that we spend most of our days not thinking about, but very much living out of certain assumptions that we've made. So to understand who we are and where we came from, we jumped into Genesis 1 and answered questions like, where did the world come from? Well, we saw in Genesis 1 that God spoke it into creation. Why does the world exist? Well, because God delighted in it existing and sung it into being. What are we doing here? Well, he also sung us into being. And then, unlike any other created thing, makes us in his image. Gives us this unique royal dominion over this created world that he's given us. And so, that's the part where I think... There is something glorious about our desire to break off a chunk of creation and do something with it. There's, a desi- there's something glorious about our desire to get out there and adventure and see all of this amazing world that God's made. There's something glorious in that. Today's question, though, is to reckon with the other side of that coin. For as glorious as that is, we have so many dreams. And we have so little time. We have so many things we would love to do, and we have so few resources to make those things happen. So how do we begin to square those two realities, this royal dominion that we've been given, and the very limited nature of our everyday lives? This is where we're going. So let's read Genesis 2, uh, starting in verse 4. And I just got here, so I don't know who's reading. Cat! Yes, I do! Okay, this is Genesis 2, 4 through 17. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush, and the name of the the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. 
the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, eat of it, you surely, you shall surely die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kat. <clears throat> All right. So here's where we're going. Uh, two points to pull out of the text this morning. First, we just have to, we've got to wrangle with the reality of the limits that are placed on us. So we're just going to spend some time on what does Genesis 2 say about the limits that are divinely placed on us. And then secondly, we're going to talk about why do those things actually help us to flourish and not falter? How is that a representation of this royalty that God has given us? The reality of limits, the royalty of limits. So to, to understand the reality of what's happening here, I think we also have to understand uh, something about what Genesis 2 is. Because if you've ever read through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it can feel like a little bit of a false start because we just spent a whole chapter talking about how God created all things. And then all of a sudden we get another account of how God created all things. And those two things, and there's some details and some of the orders that are slightly different. And so it may cause some questioning even in your discipleship groups this past week of, so are these like two different accounts? Is this a rebuttal of the first one? Are we supposed to understand these two things as coexisting together? But what about how they may seem kind of different? Without going too deep into that, uh, there is, I think, a, an easy way to explain this by way of perspective. What Genesis 1 does is this is the Godward 30,000-foot view of the creation of all things. And so there's this view of the entire mass of creation and how God speaks all of this thing into order. And now, in, verse, in chapter 2, the position moves from here to here. This is more of the man experience of this. The, the manward understanding of what exactly happened boots on the ground as God was creating mankind. Because again, there's a main point that Moses, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to drive home, and this is, who are you? So with that in mind, let's look at the text. Look first at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. And breathe into his nostrils the breath of life. The word for dust there is dust. I was kind of bummed when I found that out this week. Uh, what I was really hoping for is that it was like, and God took mountain. And he formed mountain into man. And what I found instead is that this is literally not even talking about sort of like hard-packed mud. This is the kind of sand-like dust that if you just breathe too hard on it, it floats away. And God takes the most fragile of composition and he begins to form something out of it. And as that begins to take shape, 
he then grabs that thing by the head, by the face, and with a breath that could have disintegrated that thing, he breathes life into it. If you're familiar with the, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, worship song came out, it's your breath and my lungs, so I pour out my praise. Pour out your praise. That, this is the origin of that. That chorus speaks to this reality that this breath from God. That heartbeat from God. Everyone he gives, he receives back. He gives, he receives back. And there will be a day where he will give and he will receive back and he will keep. We are contingent people made from dust, animated by the breath of God, meaning every moment of our being is held together. Hebrews says, by the word of Jesus. Meaning, there is a fragility to us, but there's also a dignity in that fragility because nothing else like us was created with the hands of our maker and breathing life into us with the breath of our maker. But in the simplest of elements that mud pies that your kids make on all these dadgum rainy days and the bricks that make most of these brick ranches up around here and the pottery that gets thrown on the stone, so you and I are made from that and will return to that. We are fragile people. Secondly, go on to verse 8. We are not only fragile people, we are temporal people. And the Lord God planted a garden in, the, uh, in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God provided this entire amazing world for us. And he puts, do you notice how when uh, all those crazy names, like saying the word B and D together, however you pronounce that one, delium, maybe the B is silent, uh, all of those stones that are in the earth right there are the very components that metal comes from. The very components with which schools, like the one we are in, are built from that cities and skyscrapers and all the glories of human creation come from. He puts it all in the ground right there. And then in a, we get this image, at least in my head, of he's putting this man together. He holds him in his God-sized hand, and then he places man in this circle, in this place that he has cultivated and made for him. So this has even more of a cultivation image than it does in Genesis 1 with sort of a creation out of nothing image. That God has his hands dirty as he makes us and as he makes the place where we will live. Meaning, like Acts 17, Paul's preaching to the Athenians who think all kinds of wacky stuff about 
God or gods or the afterlife and all of those things. And he says this, and he made from one man, this is, he is God. He made from one man, this one we're talking about here, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Listen to this part. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place. It is in God's economy that on February 26th, this group of people would be in this room at this time that you would have your house, you would have your dog, you would have your family of origin, you would have your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your time, your wallet, and so on and so on. Every bit of that, good and bad, is a circle that God has drawn around your life. We are temporal people. But again, to go back to the sort of the beauty of this and the brokenness in this, yes, we are limited, but we have God's breath and his image in us. And so in our limits, he has drawn a circle and said, I want you to play. I want you to enjoy. I want you to create. Think about this. Wheat plus tomatoes plus salt plus milk equals pizza. Out of the ground, literally, pizza comes. Glory of glories. You can, any, any dish at your favorite restaurant, if you break it apart, you can find how every bit of it came from the ground that God made in all of those beautiful uh, raw material resources. There's a beauty there that we, he would allow us in this little circle that he has drawn to create something amazing out of what the raw material is that he has given. But he has still drawn that circle and said, you can do this and no more. So we're fragile, we're temporal. Finally, verse 16 and 17, we're moral. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. The shortest way to say this is, if God created us, then he can also command us. In the same way that anything that you create, you then have the ability to constrain that thing. I was a Lego kid. And so in my basement, in the entire span of our uh, ping pong table, there was a rug. And on that entire rug was a Lego castle set. And many thousands probably of dollars were placed all around there. And any bit of those Legos, any movement they made, any ed edit to any castle was made by the creator. And they only did what I told them to do. In the same way, in God's image, we have been made. So we're different than Legos. We're different than animals. In in this way, we have been given the ability of choice. We have been given a will. Animals do whatever their whim is at the moment. We have been given whims, but we have also been given the ability to choose over and above those whims. This is what separates us. This is what makes us not robots. So God's command here 
leaves Adam with a moral choice. You can obey. You can not obey. You can live within your limits. You cannot. We are fragile. We are temporal. We are moral. Now, does that feel like good news or does that feel like bad news? East actually like said something. Does that feel like good news or bad news? Hey, good. Yep. Okay, uh, let me ask this. Does the speed limit feel like good news or bad news? <laughs> this sets up my illustration perfectly. Uh, okay. So a little bit about me. Uh, I had nine speeding tickets before Sarah and I got married. <laughs> the ninth one I brought home to my newly wedded wife, and she cried. <laughs> and she wasn't mad, but she very kindly said, will you please stop? Because here's what she knew, and here's what the Department of Transportation knows. <laughs> At 40 miles per hour, the risk of serious injury in a car crash is 15%. At 50 miles per hour, the risk of serious injury in a car crash is 59%. At 55 miles an hour, the risk of serious injury in a car crash goes to 78%. I don't want to talk about 70 and 80. The human body wasn't made to travel that fast. These limits that God has placed around us are meant to be means of flourishing. And in, but in the same way that Adam heard something in the temptation of the serpent that we're going to get to in the next few weeks, he heard there's 99.8% of God's creation that he has given you. There's 0.2% that he has said no. And we have taken that 0.2% and said, how dare you? You must be holding out something. And instead of living as the creature, we want to be the creator. Because if we know anything, we know that in our own hearts, when we're honest, and when we're sort of in the rat race of everyday life, that it is always a very true statement that the grass is always greener. Always. It's always greener, just out there. Like, I know you've given me this house, but if I could have like $100,000 to do a full renovation, that would be even better. I know you've made me almost 40, but if I could be, uh, have the, the agility of a 20-year-old again, that would be super great. Uh, I know you've given me this marriage, but that person over there looks really interesting. What are the boundaries that the Lord has placed around you? What are the circles that he has drawn around your life? And what are the places that you and I love to try to kick against those and go just outside? Because the dominion muscle in us is broken. That desire 
to take off and to break off a chunk of creation and make something out of it is a glorious thing. But what do you call a ruler who wants to not only rule his kingdom, but rule everything? You call that person a dictator. This is the posture we have made before our God. I know you've given me this. I want this. I know you've given me this in my family. I want it to be like this. I know you've given me this house. I want it to be this. I know you've given me this amount of money. Mm. But the lottery, that looks good. And to go back, have you ever thought about what in the world is going on with those two trees? You got this tree of life, and you got this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What, what is happening with all of that? Mankind, Adam, in his original state, was given a pure, free choice in his will to choose good or to choose evil. And he was not meant to live naively, as if he would not know good and evil by staying away from the tree. No, instead, he was meant to learn the difference between good and evil by resisting it. And through that, grow in wisdom. And yet, he learned the difference between good and evil by tasting evil. He learned the difference between good and evil by walking away from wisdom and not towards it. But notice, in the original creation, the tree of life was up for grabs. As long as you stayed away and lived in your lane, the tree of life was yours. Death is not the way it's supposed to be. Eternal life is what we're made for, and so it, it rings in our ears. We desire, that's why so much of this getting out and having no boundaries and no limits, there's something in our souls that's like, yes, that is it, because that is a longing for something that is true and is good, and for those who follow the Lord Jesus, is true for you both now and forever. And that is the invitation to anyone today. But in walking away, in transgressing God's commandment, man has now walked away and been barred from the tree of life. And so what we taste is this constant cycle of sin and death and sin and death and sin and death. And because Adam broke us, because he broke the freedom of his limits, now we can't help but break the freedom of our limits. Like Acts 17, it says all humanity came from one man. One of the things that that man gave to us is a sinful will. So we are unable to always choose good. And now we're in this predicament. How? How will we ever get back to the tree of life? How will we ever live forever again? How will we ever find flourishing again? There has to be someone who is fragile, who is temporal, and who is morally able to choose who can do this work for us. And so when Jesus comes and announces that the kingdom of God is at hand, one of the things that he loves to speak about himself as a self-designation is the son of man is here. What is he saying? All that that phrase means is, I am a man. I am God but I am a man. I am fragile. I am temporal. 
I have a circle around my life. I actually was put in a particular place. I am not Jesus from heaven. I am Jesus from Nazareth. I have a mom. I have to do homework and chores. Amen, right? And Jesus lives within these limits, living as a fragile human, tempted in every way. Yet without sin. Hurting, feeling our pain, feeling the loss of friends and family, feeling the betrayal of people walking away. He feels all of those things because he is man. Fragile, temporal in this particular place and time, and morally able to choose good or to choose evil. And the only human in all of created past that ever did it all the way right. Now, why does that matter for you and I? That just sounds like a guy who was super good 2,000 years ago. Because now there's a new way. Now there is a new way to get back to that tree of life. Because what did we have to do? To get the tree of life, we had to what? We had to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We had to, we had to work our way into new life. Now, because of the work of Christ, we no longer have to work our way into that. The cross is our new tree of life. We now gain access to eternal life, not from how good you or I are, but from how good Jesus was. In his fragility, in his temporality, in his moral choice, perfectly for his entire life. Yet, when he gets to the end of his life, he should achieve that eternal inheritance. And what does he get instead? He gets a tree of death. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. But that tree of death is now our access to life. Eternal life, life now, life forever, available because his work can be yours. Your limitlessness can be taken onto him all of the ways that we constantly, that your spirit presses against the circle that God has drawn around your life. Give it to him. And receive his works for you, his thriving, and his new ability by his resurrection power, the Holy Spirit living in you, that can start to live more and more conformed to his image, loving the circle that he has made for you to live in. And cultivating the beauty of that place and not constantly looking around at everybody else's. So to close with this, uh, I went to a parenting conference, Sarah and I, uh, we've been married a couple years and uh, by this guy, Paul Tripp, who's an author, speaker, was a pastor. And um, he used this illustration of, and he was talking about parenting, but it's so true of everybody. He says, consider your life that God has put a big fence around it. And those, that fence is God's law and his limits. And where do we spend the most time in this fence? We spend pressed right up against the chain link until we have lines in our face. And pressing through those little chain link things that are almost big enough for our wrist to get through if we turn it right. What do we wind up with? Wind up with disfigured faces and bloody wrists. It's not the way we were supposed to live. 
And that image has always stuck with me because there is an invitation for your family, your house, your neighborhood, your school, your body, your abilities, your pocketbook, your day, your breath, and the limits that God has drawn in you. There is an invitation to stop looking over the fence at the Instagram life that you wish you had because it's not real anyways. And to be welcomed back in to live the full life of fragility and temporality and morality now and forever. So here's one practice you could walk away with this. Um, Where are you most dissatisfied right now that God has you? Where do you find yourself most pressed up against that fence? Here's two invitations. Spend every day this week considering that. And do two things. One, repent. Like, put it down. Recognize it for what it is and put it down and walk away. And instead, practice gratitude in its place. Meaning, spend two minutes a day journaling or calling to mind what are things in my circle right now that I love and that I am so thankful that he has put inside my circle. And cultivate those things. Call your heart to those things. And the more you call your heart to those things, the more that your desires will begin to follow. And the more that your life will begin to reflect this love of the limits that you've been placed in. Okay? Let's pray. So, Father, we can't do this alone. Uh, I broke it on the way over here. I'm going to break it when I walk back out the door. So, We pray, I pray uh, for myself and for my friends that there would be a, a delight that could form in us that this is the day that you have made. Would we rejoice and be glad in it? Instead of finding every way, our hearts are so good at finding every reason to be anxious and angry and fearful instead of rejoice. So call our hearts uh, more and more to the beauty of the circles that you have called us to live in? Uh, And would there be beauty cultivated in that? Would there be beauty cultivated in this circle of this church community? You've given us Creve Hall. Would we cultivate beauty here? We pray all this in Christ. Amen.